Well, good morning and welcome to Catalyst Christian Church. My name is Dave. I want to thank everybody who's joining us in person and online. Thank you for joining us this morning. We are continuing in our series, Grace Marriage, and um, I hope you like that video because uh, those of you guys that have been married that long know that's true. Those of you guys that are in year one and two and three, it's coming, okay? It is. Um, and today we are continuing in our series with part three, and it's called Sleeping with the enemy. Now, in, uh, uh, like Rob said, the, the main thing was that marriage is made up of two selfish, self-centered people trying to live together. What could possibly go wrong? Okay. So uh, in, in 1991, actress Julia Roberts uh, made a psychological thriller about a, a, a woman who was married to a psychotic, handsome, abusive, charming Man, and I don't recommend you watching it unless you want nightmares. But uh, the, the, the whole thing was that she was sleeping with her enemy. They were enemies. And, uh, and, and so that, that is kind of what a lot of married people see. They, they see basically that, uh, that, that this person that I have committed to is my enemy. It looks like that child just saw the movie because that's exactly what I did for like the next two weeks after, after, uh, uh, but uh, you know what, by the way, that right there is the sound of a great church because we are a family. Yes, we are a family. And when my, at Christmas time and everything, it's chaos and everything like that. Someone told me that a church that does not have crying kids is not going to be around very long. So that is the sound of a healthy church. Can we get, can you, that's just awesome. I love it. I love it. I love it. So, um, but before we get started today, I want to tell you guys something. If you all are here looking for some principles or looking for some tips or some techniques or something like that, it's, it's not going to work. Um, it's kind of like a patient going into a hospital, and uh, and the, the people say, well, we did everything we possibly could. You know, we gave them uh, uh, gave them the, the antibiotics, we gave them IV bed rest. Well, the problem is the patient's dead, and it doesn't matter how good the medicine or the IV or the bed rest is if the patient is dead. See, guys, we aren't people this morning. Christians aren't people in search of new behavior modifications. We're not in search of tips and techniques or strategies. We're dead people. We're dead in our sins, the Bible says. And without the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ, um, nothing we say here is going to matter. Nothing I say in the next half an hour is going to matter. Um, so kind of trying to take what the Bible says and apply it to your life without being surrendered to Christ is like giving medicine to a dead person. It really is. Uh, the problem isn't that what the Bible says about marriage. That, that's not the problem. It's exactly correct. The problem isn't the medicine for the patient. It works. The problem is the person. If the person's dead, the medicine's not going to work. If the people are dead in their sins, not surrendered to Christ, then it doesn't matter what I tell you today. If you are unrepented, if you are unsaved this morning, I'm going to ask you to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Before we go any further, I'm going to ask you to surrender yourself, surrender your life, to get rid of your old life, to allow yourself to die and allow the life-giving power of Jesus Christ to resurrect you in his new creation. That's what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? 
Husbands and wives, for anything for us to, 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 to um, anything to work, husbands and wives must be surrendered to Jesus Christ. Having confessed their sins, repented, accepted the life-giving grace of Jesus Christ, left your old life behind and be made new. And to have an old life dead and buried, to be raised to life as a new creation in Christ, be baptized, confess Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what I want to ask you to do, okay? Then and only then can we begin to live as the Bible tells us to live and enjoy the amazing blessing of that, okay? So after that, now that we're looking at resolving conflict in marriage and everything, the first thing I want to tell you is this, is that you have to realize who the enemy really is. Realize who the enemy really is. Ephesians 6.12 says this, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, we have to realize who the enemy is. And I wanna give you a hint, it is not your spouse. Everybody understand that? People online, the enemy is not your spouse. Okay, one of the biggest dangers in any military conflict is not the enemy. It's a thing called friendly fire. Friendly fire is something that is not so friendly. It is where two uh, people on the same side, in the same army, fighting for the same side, mistake each other for the enemy and begin shooting at each other. It's called friendly fire. Many, many, many people in war are killed because of friendly fire. And before you get weird about spiritual warfare and everything like that, remember Ephesians, this same book, tells us to put on the armor of God. Remember, it tells us to put on the armor of God. Well, you don't put on armor unless you're going into battle. So I want to let you guys know that maybe your marriage, maybe your relationships have been the victims of friendly fire. You're not fighting the real enemy. You've misidentified the enemy as your wife or as your husband, and you're treating them like the enemy when the Bible tells us we have a very different enemy, okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11 says this, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. See, Satan has a three-part strategy to destroy your marriage. He does. He, he, he hates marriage. He hates people being happy in marriage. And I'll tell you why in just a second, but he has a three-part strategy. So stage one is this. It's called, I call it the sniper. Any of you all who've, who have been married or, or anything will know that this is, a, that this is a, a real thing. John Eldridge writes in his book, Wild at Heart, marriage is a stunning picture of what God offers his people. Scripture tells us that it is a living metaphor, a walking parable, a Rembrandt painting of the gospel. The enemy knows this, and he hates it with every ounce of his malicious heart. He has no intention of just letting that beautiful portrait be lived out before the world with such deep appeal that no one can resist God's offer, okay? So the first step to any military campaign is to jam communications. Jam communication, that's, that, that's the first thing you do. You take out their communication, All right? And I've noticed this. I've been married 24 years, and, and I've noticed sometimes, I don't know, I'll get a sense of accusation just in my heart. I, I, will, I will hear this, this, this voice, and I, and I think it's coming from my wife, that I'm just messing it up, I'm screwing it up. I'm just, I'm just not good enough. And, I, I, and, and, and I, it just messes with me all the time. 
And one day I, I confessed that to Rachel. I, I said, you know, I, I just get the sense that I'm just, I'm not being the person you need me to be and I'm just screwing it up. And she started crying and said, I've been feeling the exact same way. That I'm just a terrible wife and I'm a terrible spouse and I'm just blowing it. And I looked at her and I said, well, I'm not sending that message and you're not sending that message. And all of a sudden I realized we were getting sniped. That the stage one, Satan was sniping us. He was, he was putting this sense of accusation within us. And guys, it was jamming communication because when I felt like I was messing up, I kind of withdrew from my spouse, okay? She kind of withdrew from me. I don't know if anybody has ever had this happen, but this is routine in warfare. This is routine in marriage, okay? And most of all, the enemy will try to jam communications with headquarters, okay? We'll try to jam communication with headquarters. This is how the enemy works. Um, uh, and make, make no mistake, make a mistake and watch your prayer life go away. Watch you withdraw from people, withdraw from your church, withdraw from prayer um, and, and get this, but try committing to pray for your spouse for a month and see what happens. See if you are capable of doing it. The enemy will do everything he can to keep prayer life away from, away from, out of your life. You'll, you'll go to prayer, you'll start thinking desperately about some bill that needs to be paid, You'll start uh, uh, singing song lyrics. I mean, things that, that you could be sitting there for two hours, you decide to pray, and all of a sudden, boom, all this stuff that you had to do. Got to mow the grass. Got to handle the bills. Got to... True? Where do you think that's coming from? It's too perfect to be a coincidence. <clears throat> Satan doesn't want the supernatural power of God in your marriage. So he snipes. You know, like sometimes... I wake up in the morning just here, good morning, loser. And I know many spouses wake up with a voice of accusation all day long. Where do you think that's coming from? We're not unaware of his schemes, the Bible says. So once we realize that and you stop fighting your spouse and we start realizing who the real enemy is, stage two steps up and this is more of a direct thing. Stage two is intimidation. Intimidation. Joshua 1.6 says this, be strong and courageous. The Bible tells us to be strong and courageous because we're fighting an enemy. Our marriages are fighting an enemy. All right? So say, this is what happens in stage two when he, when he realizes he can't snipe you anymore. You've, you've realized that. He's, he goes to stage two. He takes little things. The way an intimidator works, he takes something small and tries to make it big to bluff. All right, so he takes the little things like um, uh, the, the, the threat of finances and, and blows it up to where it's a major, major crisis. He'll, he'll take the, the, uh, uh, the annoying tone that your spouse uses is probably unaware of and makes it huge, okay? She's, he or she's probably unaware of this, that this tone really bothers you, but Satan will blow it up to make it seem like they're doing it on purpose. Oh, he knows that you hate it when, you, when he says that. He knows, and he's doing it on purpose. It's intentional. See, he steps up the intimidation, a bluff, to get you to blink. True? He tries the age-old tactic of strike first, and maybe the opposition will turn and run away. You know, he puts these, these things, well, your marriage is too far gone. Puts those thoughts in your mind. And puts your, that your home is just too chaotic. It's hopeless. Uh, your spouse doesn't care about you. Put those thoughts in there. Your spouse doesn't listen to you. How about that one? He just doesn't listen to me. And he blows that up 
to make it seem like it's life or death. And then the other toxic thoughts are put in there. You, uh, you, you, you should have married someone else. See, he was a mistake. She was a mistake. That other guy at work, oh, he would listen to you. That girl at work, she would satisfy you. See, he, they, he takes a little and makes it huge. And then once you realize that you're fighting that, that he's speaking lies and speaking truth, then he, then he moves to stage three, which is just cutting a deal. And this is the most dangerous one of all. This is the most dangerous one of all, all right? The deals that we make with Satan show the things that are important to us. And, and, and the best movie, best movie I've, I've, other than We Were Soldiers was Braveheart. I love Braveheart. And in Braveheart, the, uh, the king, the evil king Longshanks gets the Scottish nobles to leave the battlefield, not by threat of intimidation or by sniping, but by buying them off. He gave them what they wanted. They wanted lands and title, so he bribed them with lands and title to get them to forsake their own freedom to leave the battlefield and betray William Wallace. And guys, this is, I see this all day long. The same way Satan tries to get us to he tries to buy our marriages off, to get us to leave the battlefield, to stop fighting for our spouse, to stop fighting for our marriage and the joy and the happiness and the peace that God wants for your home. He tries to buy that off. You know, he appeals to our selfishness. He gets to buy you off, to get, make, get you to make an agreement that you're not the problem, it's her. And, and oh, you're not the problem, it's him. Marriage isn't really that great anyway. He tells us, there's a better man out there for you. There's a better woman out there for you. He looks for us to make an agreement. And we start scratching us. You know, you're right, Satan. Marriage really isn't that great. Yeah, there probably is a better person out there for me. He looks for us to make an agreement. And by doing that, we ask ourselves, why should I work at this thing? Well, it's not that great anyway. He isn't that great. She isn't. I agree with you, Satan. And he buys us off. So I want to ask you to look at the current state of your marriage. Look at it. In what areas has Satan bought you off? Made you a deal? Gotten you to settle for less than what God has had for you? God wants your marriage to thrive. You know that, right? Marriage is his territory. It's supposed to be life-giving. It's supposed to be joy-filled. It's supposed to be love-filled. It's supposed to be two people committed for life. It's supposed, to, it's supposed to be that. It's supposed to thrive. All the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those are supposed to be present in our marriages. Is that what we have, people? Or have we settled for something that Satan has tried to buy us off? You say, well, we aren't thriving. We aren't glorifying God with our relationship. Um, there's no real fruit of the Spirit. I wouldn't say that our house is angry. It's just not very joy-filled. Um, no discipleship of our children. God, he, we, we, he bought us off on that. But hey, we know all the shows that are worth binge-watching on Netflix. Look what Satan has gotten you to agree to. Look at the mediocrity that Satan has allowed so, or has gotten so many people to buy into. Look how he has bought you off from the life and the freedom that God has for you. 
We've agreed. He's just bought us off. He's made a deal. He said, this is so much easier. It's so much easier just to sit there and watch TV instead of being intentional and, and, and working and experiencing the fruit of, of, a, of a great marriage. We have to realize who the enemy really is. Y'all, it's not your spouse. It's not your spouse. Maybe you need to look at your wife or your husband right now or your future, future spouse and just say, I'm not your enemy. How about we stop the friendly fire and we start committing to fighting the real enemy? Um, about eight years ago, we had an intern from Johnson University come and stay with us. He's investigating ministry. And one of the things that interns have to do, they have to, they have to fill out these things, they answer these questions, and, 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 and one, of the, one of the problems that, that, that he was supposed to solve was a church conflict. Uh, a new pastor came in, and he'd been there about a year, and elders had been there 20 years, and he wanted to change something, and, and the, the, all this conflict, so what should the pastor, that was the question. And our intern came to me and said, uh, so what do you think about my answer? And I read it, and it was a bunch of techniques and tips and, and things that, he, that, that the pastor should say to resolve this church conflict, and I said, oh my goodness. I said, I hate to say this, man, but everything you said is completely wrong. He goes, how do you mean? I said, well, the problem, and, and the words came out of my mouth, and I kind of remembered it, and I wrote it down. I said, the time to solve that conflict was two years ago. He goes, what do you mean? I said, well, the problem is that, um, the, the, the problem is that problems have to be solved by something other than good words and right techniques, okay? I, I, I said, um, uh, you have to understand that relationship is the key to solving problems. I said, everybody views a conflict or a problem through, the, through however the relationship was. He goes, man, I'm not following you. I said, okay, all right. So pastor has a problem with elder. And elder, um, you know, there, there's, there's, a, there's a conflict. And I said, that elder is going to observe the pastor through the lens of their relationship. And, and, and it's applicable to husbands and wives as well. I, I want everybody to remember this. The time to solve the conflict was two years ago. I want you guys to remember that, okay? This is, this, this is the thing. See, whenever there's a gap between what is expected and what actually happens... See the gap here? There's, this is what's expected, and this is what actually happens. There's a gap. For example, let's see. Uh, let's say that uh, he's supposed to be home at six o'clock. We're supposed to have dinner at six fifteen. He gets home at seven. Well, there's a gap, and the wife is going to fill that gap in with one of two things. She will fill it in with trust or suspicion, okay? And the, the, the relationship between them is going to determine what she's going to fill it in with, okay? So if, let's, he's, he's supposed to be home at six, he gets home at seven. If she fills it in with trust, she'll say, you know, this is not like him, there must have been, there must have been awful traffic, his cell phone must have, uh, you know, uh, you know, it must have died or didn't get service or something like this. There must be a very, very good reason for this. She filled it in with trust. 
Now, if she fills in with suspicion, she would say, well, hmm, so where were you? Where were you? Do you expect me to believe that you had to work late? What was her name? See? You're going to fill it in with trust or suspicion. And the reason I say that the time to solve the problem was two years ago, because if the husband has done a great job of being consistently home at six, he's home at six every time, home at six, home at six, home at six, he's home at seven, well, she's going to fill it in with trust, because he's established a pattern of trust. He, he has invested, he's been respectful of that for the last two years, and therefore, you're going to view the conflict through the context of those last two years. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, if, he is, if this is the fifth time this week he's home at seven, she's going to start viewing it through the lens of suspicion. Okay? See, the time to solve the conflict was two years ago. Now, that doesn't help us in conflict right now, but what that does is it brings to light another statement that the time to fix the, the roof is when the sun is shining. You don't wait till it's raining to fix the roof. You, you fix the roof when the sun is shining. So what does that mean for married couples? Here's what it means. Here's the thing, okay? Consistency is what builds trust, and you will view the relationship through trust. Inconsistency builds suspicion. So the time, if, you, if things are good right now, husbands and wives, start, continue investing and being consistent because consistency is the key to solving conflict. You understand that? Please understand that. Because once, once, by the, when there's a conflict, it's almost too late to solve it. You have to be consistent in the two years prior in order to be able to solve conflict well. Okay? It takes hard work. And most people aren't willing to do the hard work of building trust, of being consistent. But that's how God thrives you in marriage. Okay, have to understand that, that the time to solve a conflict was two years ago. I, I want you to write that down. I want you and your spouse, I want you and your future spouse to keep that mindset that the time to solve a conflict was two years ago. So let's go ahead and start building trust. Let's, let's be men and women of our word. Let's, let's respect, let's love, so that when conflict happens, we view it through the context of a good, solid relationship. Okay? All of us are going to make mistakes. All of us are going to say things we don't mean. All of us, because we're selfish, self-centered human beings trying to live together, we're going to blow it big time. We're going to do things that really hurt our spouse. Hopefully not many, but we will because we're human. And when those things happen, you'll be very, very glad you've got a track record of consistency because your spouse will be much more likely to extend grace to you. Okay? We want that. Be consistent because that builds trust. All right? But when conflict happens, when conflict happens, the Bible has very, 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 very specific things that we are supposed to do as spouses to honor God in conflict. I simply call it fighting fair. And there are three things 
Three little tweetable phrases I want you to remember. These are things that were taught to me. I'm going to pass on to you that have been very, very, very good. Write these down, okay? The first thing is when conflict happens, when, when you are, you feel like your spouse is the enemy. This is what I want you to remember. It's the two of us against the problem. Remember that. It's the two of us against the problem. It's not husband versus wife or wife versus husband. It is the two of us against the problem, okay? I want, to, I, I want, I want you to, to remember this. Maybe you even say this to your spouse. Say this, I want to solve the problem. I don't want to solve you. See, a lot of times, I'm gonna speak as a man, a lot of times I feel like my wife is trying to solve me, not the problem. And I know wives feel that same way with husbands. I, I know that my wife has felt that from me. Like, I, I'm trying to fix her instead of the problem. Let's stop that, okay? We can't fix people, all right? Just say, I want to solve the problem. I'm not trying to solve you, okay? I, I, I want to speak to the ladies for a second. Many of you all see a role in the marriage as to fix your husband. A lot of women enter marriage or enter a relationship saying, I can fix him. Uh, he's a little rough around the edges, but I think I can change this, and I think I can do this, and I think I can really mold him into the person I want him to be. Well, unfortunately, there is a 6,000-year trail of devastation of relationships where that has not worked. All right? Only the Holy Spirit can change a person. Only the Holy Spirit can change your husband. Only, a, only the Holy Spirit can change your spouse. You aren't the Holy Spirit. You can't solve someone. You can try, and you'll knock yourself out, but you'll get the same results that all people have gotten since Adam and Eve, right? It's the two of us against the problem. Many times I counsel couples just to look at each other and say, I'm not your enemy. Let's take, here's the problem. The problem is the debt. The problem isn't you. The problem is the debt we need to knock out. Or the problem is we've got a rebellious child, but it's not you versus me. It is the two of us against this problem. Let's solve the problem. Let's not solve each other. Okay? It's two of us against the problem. That right there is, a, is, is probably one of the most important things I've ever learned about marriage. The second thing that I learned about fighting fair is that you never try to win. Don't ever try to win, okay? In marriage, if you win, you lose. And I'm gonna speak to the guys. I spoke to the ladies about trying to, trying to fix, I'm gonna speak to the guys right now because I've had the Bible verse that she's supposed to submit to me, quoted to me, as justification for how, uh, uh, how she is supposed to do what I say and, and, and I'm the leader in the family and therefore she should respect what I say. I've heard that. Um, well, the Bible does say, wives, submit to your husbands, but it says submit to one another right before that. The, 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 the model for Christian marriage is mutual submission, both husband, wife, submitting their wants, desires, needs for the betterment of the other. That is the mo Christian model for marriage, okay? That, that's what it says. 
And in marriage, if you win, you lose. If you get your way by bludgeoning your spouse or by shouting them down or insulting them into submission, you may have won, but you've lost. You've lost. Okay? You never try to win. In marriage, if you win, you lose. One of the things I've found after counseling numerous couples in marriage is that if you ever win, all it is is a temporary win. You think that person's changed his or her mind? Think about this. You're in a conflict or something like this and, and your spouse just you know, lays into you and, 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 and you just kind of, okay, uh, I'm not gonna fight this anymore. Yeah, we'll do things your way. Do you really think that that person has seen your way? Do you think that by insulting and by bludgeoning, they're gonna say, you know what? I just didn't see things your way. I, how in the world did I miss the brilliance of, of, of you? I mean, I, I'm about to start, start seeing how great thou art when I look at you now because of the brilliance and the wisdom, I, I thank you for educating me. I am so much better off now that I've submitted to you. Is that, do you think the person is saying that? No, no, no. That resentment will build. That resentment will build and it will come out in other ways. Okay, if you win in marriage, believe me, there's another fight coming down the road. If you ever win in marriage, you lose. Remember that. And the third thing, this is just something that I try to live by, my wife tries to live by, we fail it repeatedly, but it's, it's wonderful. Never raise your voice unless the house is on fire. I've been married 24 years, and I have yet to, seen, yet to see one situation other than when the house is on fire that's been made better by me raising my voice. I have yet to see a single instance that has been made better by me raising my voice. I'll tell you guys this, um, now that I'm 46 and, and I'm kind of getting set in my ways and everything, pretty much, if someone raises their voice at me, I, I'm done. I don't know, I'm just sitting, let's do it anymore. Someone feels the need to express, to, to get me to see their way by raising their voice, I, I check out person not worth listening to. That's exactly the way people are. How many of you have come around to another person's point of view because of them raising their voice at you? Doesn't work. And yet I see it all the time in marriages. I see it all the time. I see couples losing their cool and raising their voice, hoping for a good resolution to the conflict, and it never happens. You'd think that after all of these, these times where raising our voice has not gotten what we want, not, not led to a good thing, we'd stop, you'd think. But it doesn't. See, Ephesians 4.29 says this, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, husband and wife, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others, building your spouse up. Seriously. That's what the Bible says. And the second we start applying that in our homes, we will see an entire new chapter in marriage in our homes. We'll actually begin to thrive. Now, if the house is on fire, I will give you a pass. Say, get out, okay? That's the one time you can raise your voice. Other than that, you all stop. Doesn't work. 
If it worked, I'd say, yeah, start yelling, keep yelling. If it worked, but it doesn't. Matter of fact, it does more damage than the fire. Maybe, maybe I'm unique here, but if I was to see a show of hands and maybe online, if you could send us a text, say, uh, yeah, actually raising my voice really does work well. I mean, I'm, it is great. Can anybody, can anybody say that? I mean, maybe I need to be educated. Can somebody tell me that you and your wife yell at each other all the time and it makes things better? Is it, is it anybody? Online, send me a text message if you don't mind saying yes. No, it doesn't work. I'm gonna invite the band to come on back up. Just remember, it's the two of us against the problem. In marriage, if you win, you lose, and never raise your voice unless the house is on fire. This is not your slave. This is not your child. This is not your hired hourly employee. This is not some, some person off the street. This is your spouse. This is the person you have committed to for life. This is the person that you have loved that is part of your life. The Bible said you are one flesh. Do not raise your voice. Don't. Do not let any wholesome talk come out of your mouth. It was helpful for building others up that it may benefit those who listen. Listen, people. Maybe it's time today that we go home and we really realize who the enemy is. It's not your spouse. It's not your kids. It's not their coaches or their teachers or their friends. That's not who the enemy is. You have an enemy that wants to destroy your marriage. He's sniping. He's trying to intimidate. He's trying to get you to cut a deal. Those are the three things he's trying to do. So maybe you all need to go home, repent, that you have viewed your spouse as the enemy and say, you know what? We've been played. We've been played, <clears throat> and we're not going to let it happen anymore. It is the two of us against the real enemy. Let's stop the friendly fire. Stop it, and let's fight the real enemy, Satan. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, as, uh, <clears throat> as, as we have just looked at, at your word and and addressing conflict and, and, uh, and all of those things, Lord. There's so much in there, that, so much that, that is difficult. Lord, I, I pray that you would allow the people here and that are joining us online to, to see that we are facing a powerful enemy who hates marriage, who does not want happiness in the home, does not want peace, love, and joy, wants maximum chaos, maximum mediocrity, maximum complacency, maximum strife and conflict. And Lord, we've been falling for it. We've been falling for it for 6,000 years. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us eyes to see so that we are not unaware of, of Satan's schemes. Second of all, Lord, I pray that you would bind the, the marriages together that are, that are in this room and joining us online, that, uh, Father, you would bless them, that you would heal them. I pray that somebody who is headed for divorce court today would get a renewed sense of love, of joy, of hope because of what your word says. Lord, I pray that marriages that were just surviving would start thriving. And Father, I pray more than, more than that, most of all, that the people that see the marriages in here would see a, a beautiful picture of the gospel, of how you love your people and how your people love you. Father, we love you, and we thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.